Um, let's take a moment. We're going we're gonna to pray together as we come to God's word and just ask God um, to help us and come and meet with us in his word and speak to us. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for everything that's already been shared uh, this morning. Um, we sang at the beginning, does the spirit move among us? And we answered, he does. And I want to thank you that we've borne witness this morning of so many different ways in which your spirit is at work among us. Um, thank you that you're here in this place and you're alive and you're writing among us stories of redemption, stories of healing, stories of salvation and conversion, um, stories of being set free from things that entangle us, um, from the lies of the devil. Um, Father, we want to thank you that Jesus has taken our shame and condemnation and he comes to us and says, child, lift up your head. And we do want to pray, Lord, if there's anybody who came in this morning with their head down, would you be the lifter of their head this morning? Would they hear the glad good news of the gospel that Jesus has done what needs to be done? And now there is forgiveness and there is healing and there is salvation and there's joy with you. Um, Father, I want to pray as we, as we open up your word. Uh, for these few moments together, um, I want to pray really simply as we read uh, a, really, a really powerful and beautiful story together. Um, I want to pray really simply, would you give us a glimpse of your glory, of your light, of your beauty? And I pray that that glimpse would stay with us when we leave here, and I pray that it would change us. Um, and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so we have, um, we've, we've reached the end of a little journey through the first half of Mark's gospel. We've been thinking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, uh, following him in our everyday lives. Um, and we could have ended with the passage we did um, last week about taking up our cross and following Jesus. Um, but... I wanted to finish on this note um, of the story that comes next. So we're going re to read together. I'm going to jump right in. Uh, Mark chapter 9. Um, you can follow uh, on the screen behind me or you can follow in your own Bible. Um, Mark chapter 9 begins like this. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And I want to pause there just before I go on to the, the rest of the story. Um, that verse at the beginning of chapter 9 really be belongs with uh, last week's story. It's really the, the finish to the story that we read last week where Jesus spoke about his death for the first time and Peter tried to talk him out of it and Jesus had to rebuke Peter. And Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who wants to come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow um, and so this really is the end of that story. Uh, but it's interesting just to note, whoever added the chapter divisions in our Bible, um, which are not original, but were added in the Middle Ages sometime, but whoever added the chapter divisions put this verse with the next story. 
Um, and that's just interesting to note. They thought uh, there's a connection between the two stories. Uh, and so that might be worth looking out for. Um, and so maybe just before we plunge into the story, I wanted to put up that verse um, and, and, and maybe just pause at it for a second and ask, what do you think Jesus meant? As he said to his disciples, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Wonder what he meant. Let's be intrigued by that for a second. What did Jesus mean? Um, let's go on and read uh, the story that comes after. Verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And we're going to finish our reading um, there. Um, for me, um, it's, a, it's a challenge for a preacher. I, I find this, this is a strange and beautiful story. Um, and in some ways, as you read it in Mark's gospel, it's not explained for us. It's just, it's dropped there as a story. Um, and it's not explained. And I, in some ways, I'm hesitant to say very much about it. I find that I just want to say, look, <laughs> look at this story. Listen to it. Go and find a quiet place this week and just be with this story. Um, to me, it's, it's not a story that lends itself to preachers pontificating. Um, it's a story that should lead us just to wonder and worship. Um, but I am going to say a little bit about it. Um, let, let's ponder the story together. Um, Jesus is with these three disciples on a mountain. In Luke's gospel, it tells us they were praying on the mountain. We've noted before Jesus liked mountains for praying. Um, we're not told which mountain this happened on, um, which is interesting. Uh, Mark often names the places where we are, but he doesn't tell us where this was. Uh, if you want to know uh, the speculation about where the transfiguration happened, uh, the two most common uh, bits of speculation are either Mount Tabor, which is down here right in the heart of Galilee, so right in the heart of Jewish country, um, or way up there, at Mount Hermon, um, which would place it right on the edge of Gentile country, which would be today on the border between Syria and Lebanon. And there's debate, those are the two most, most common places where people think it might have been. But Mark doesn't tell us. Um, and while they are there on the mountain, something strange and surprising 
happens, and it's described in this very simple phrase. Um, and I'm deliberately not putting up a picture of this event. I looked up a lot of art. Well, I will put up a bit of art later, but um, sometimes the pictures can take away from trying to imagine um, what's there in the story. But it simply says he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured is not used anywhere else in the Bible, um, but it means it, it, it implies or suggests that his appearance was radically transformed. Um, sometimes when I'm reading it, you can you can I, I laugh a little bit because it sounds for a moment almost like an ad for wa uh, washing powder. Um, his his clothes became white whiter than anybody on earth can wash them, and it sounds like those Dal's ads that used to be on on TV. But it, it, there's this sense of brightness, of light, of something dazzling um, that almost can't be described, a radiance that comes from within Jesus and shines all around. Um, the biblical word very often in other passages that's not used here is the word glory, speaking of the brightness um, of who God is. Um, you, we, we've noted a few times all through Mark's gospel the big question up to this point has been about the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And we've noted Mark tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, um, who he, he thinks Jesus is, that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. But to those within the story, his identity has kind of been hidden or veiled. And they get glimpses um, of, of something going on. They, they look at Jesus and they see an ordinary man from Nazareth who's the son of a carpenter and looks very ordinary, like any Galilean man. And yet they keep getting glimpses of something else breaking through as he speaks with authority in his teaching, as he casts out demons with a word, as he calms the wind and the waves with a word, as he heals the sick, as he feeds the crowd, as he walks on water. They keep getting these glimpses of something from beyond, something it's not merely human going on in his story. And yet, when those moments pass and they look at him again, he looks again like an ordinary Galilean man. And so they're puzzling over his identity. Uh, but it kind of seems like in this moment on the mountain, um, for Peter and James and John at least, the veil is pulled back completely just for a moment. And they see Jesus in his true reality in dazzling brightness, in unimaginable beauty. The writer to the Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of the Father's glory. The radiance of the Father's glory. You see the beauty, the brightness, the glory of God when you look at Jesus. Um, John, when he was writing his gospel, says, we have seen his glory. He said, the word became flesh and lived for a while among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Um, I find myself wondering, John, John was one of the disciples who was on the mountain um, and I wonder is that part of what he meant when he said, we've seen his glory. Um, we saw his glory in glimpses on many occasions, but for one shining moment on the mountain, we saw it unveiled, the light of heaven, the glory of God, shining in and through this one man from Galilee. Um, I wonder, is that part of what John meant? 
Um, I find myself thinking about this. I was thinking about uh, the lengths and the, uh, stay with me for a moment here. I don't know where I'm going here, but the, the lengths and the costs that people go to um, to get tickets to a big sporting event or a music concert. Uh, so in recent times, I've known a few friends who went a little bit mad trying to get Taylor Swift tickets for uh, concerts in Dublin. Uh, and there was like a, a mad scramble, or maybe for other people, it's getting tickets for a football match or the Rugby World Cup or whatever it is. And you find yourself thinking, what are we looking for when we scramble and pay huge amounts of money to be there for these moments? And there's maybe different ways of describing it. We're looking for entertainment. We're looking for excitement. Um, I think another way of describing it is we're looking for glory. <laughs> we're looking for a moment of brightness and beauty uh, that'll be a little bit transcendent. And maybe it'll be the beauty of what we see on the pitch or here in the concert, or maybe it'll be the beauty and the brightness of what happens in the crowd at a big event like that and just being there for it. We want to be kind of lifted out of our grey, ordinary lives just for a moment and touch something um, else. But I found myself thinking the best and brightest lights this world can manufacture, and yes, even Taylor Swift, um, even the All Blacks, um, I know they didn't win, um, the best and brightest lights that this world can manufacture pale into greyness and dullness beside this light that Peter and James and John saw on the mountain. They are those other lights that our world chases. They are the ghost of a trace of a pale imitation of the true light, the real glory. Peter and James and John got to see it for a moment. Um, but maybe as I was reading you find yourself wondering, um, all right, we're going we're to look at a bit of art. I find a lot of the religious art very strange. Um, and so this, was, this is one of the better ones I could find. Um, so Jesus in the middle. Um, Elijah over here. You can, tell, you can tell who Moses is because he always has the law with him. So that's Moses over there. Um, and then Peter, James, and John down below um, looking on. But maybe you find yourself wondering, why are Moses and Elijah there? Right, I get, I get the, the heart of what's going on with Jesus' radiance and glory being seen. But why are Moses and Elijah there? And it, it makes for great drama and it makes for a great story. The three of them standing on the, the mountain, two of the great personalities of the Old Testament. Um, and it says in Mark, they were talking with Jesus. It's kind of very understated. They're on the mountain talking with Jesus. Um, if you want to know what they were talking about, you have to go and look at read Luke's gospel. I'll let you go and do that uh, later if you want to. Um, but I find myself wondering why these two, out of all the great Old Testament characters, there are a lot of big personalities and characters in the Old Testament. So I find myself wondering, why not Abraham? He was the first, the, the beginning of the story. Why not David, the man after God's own heart, the greatest of Israel's kings? Um, why these two? And we're not told in the story. We're, we're kind of left to puzzle and wonder and ponder um, why it was these two. Um, lots of people think Moses and Elijah represent here the law and the prophets, which were the two great divisions of the, the Jewish-Hebrew Old Testament. Um, that may be so. I, I, I want to tell you, I've never been totally convinced that that's what's going on. Um, the reason I've never been totally convinced is Moses 
is the, the natural choice for the law, because he is the great lawgiver who got the law on Sinai. Um, but to me, Elijah seems a strange choice for the prophets. Obviously, Elijah was a prophet. He was a very powerful and compelling prophet. But Elijah's story appears in Kings, in the, the history narrative of, of Israel, not actually in the part of the Old Testament that is called the prophets. Um, and I find myself thinking, surely Isaiah would have had a good shout if you're looking for someone who kind of dominates the landscape of the prophets in the Old Testament. And so I still find myself puzzling a little bit. And maybe it's about the law and the prophets. Um, my own wondering has been inconclusive. Um, but I do want to just share with you a little wondering of mine. Um, when I think of Moses and Elijah, um, maybe my mind is very literal, but when I think of Moses and Elijah, I think of mountains. I think of Moses on Sinai receiving the law. And I think of Elijah on Mount Carmel confronting the prophets of Baal. And I also, when I think of Mo Moses and Elijah, um, to me, they're both people who had, if I can put it this way, close encounters with the glory of God. Right? What do I mean by that? Moses met with God on the mountain and came down, we're told, actually with his face shining, with the reflected glory of what he had seen. Um, Elijah on the mountain saw fire fall from heaven. Um, and then a little later stood on another mountain as God passed by. And he encountered God in a still small voice after the earthquake and the wind and the fire. So for me, Moses and Elijah, they both on a mountain had a close encounter with the glory of God and kind of came away with their hair singed a little bit by, or their beard singed a little bit, I don't know, by what they had experienced. And so maybe the law and the prophets, uh, maybe something to do with mountains and the glory of God is also part of why they're there. Um, you can tell me later or during the week um, what your wonderings are um, about that. But you noticed as we read, um, Peter... Um, I think that's probably Peter down there. Um, usually John. John has no beard, usually, in paintings. Peter usually has a black beard, so I think that's probably him. Um, Peter uh, gets it wrong again. Um, I think if we were describing Peter in Northern Ireland, we would say he's not backward about coming forward. Um, or maybe today we would say Peter has no filter. He just, he just seems to say <laughs> what comes to mind. Um, and he kind of blurts this thing out about, it's really good that we're here. Let's build three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, uh, one for Elijah. And I, I love the way Mark, as narrator, just adds this little note that basically says he had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> like, he just, no idea, no clue. Uh, but, but there's a note of compassion there as well. He says they were so terrified that actually we read the story and go, that's amazing, that's beautiful. But they were scared by this encounter with the numinous, with the awe-inspiring beauty and radiance and glory of God. Um, what was wrong with what Peter said? What, what was wrong with building three shelters? I mean, it sounds like an okay idea. Um, I think for one thing, um, Peter hadn't yet understood the full reality of who Jesus is. Um, he wants to honor the three together, Moses, Jesus, Elijah, but he hasn't understood that Jesus is actually 
unimaginably greater than Moses or Elijah. Jesus is not just another great prophet or spiritual leader. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. And Peter has not yet understood that. You can't put him on a par, even with Moses, even with Elijah. Um, uh, and so Peter didn't yet understand. Um, I also wonder, there's, there also seems to be a sense in Peter's words um, of something that I think is very human and very natural, um, which is when you have a beautiful mountaintop experience, um, you want to preserve it. <laughs> you want to kind of bottle it and make it permanent. You want to stay there and never leave. Um, and Eugene Peterson, in writing about this story, just comments that in the previous story, last week's one, Peter wanted to avoid the cross, uh, which is very natural as well. Uh, but here he wants to preserve the glory. Let's keep it. Let's bottle it. Let's, let's uh, make it last. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a, a kind of beautiful mountaintop experience in your life and you want it to last forever or you want to or, or you want to recreate it later and, and kind of live off the memory of it and kind of make it the defining moment of your life. But you can't stay on the mountaintop. A moment like that is given as a beautiful gift to be received with gratitude and wonder, but then they have to go back down the mountain, <laughs> and that's how the story ends. Um, and I think the same is true for us. We want to hold on to those moments. We want to stay there. We want them to last forever. We want to recreate them. Um, but they're given as a gift. We're to be thankful, we're to worship, we're to wonder, but then we gotta go back down the mountain. Um, I do find myself wondering if that's why we're not told the name of the mountain. Um, because God knew what we would do if we knew where this happened. And by the way, if you go to Mount Tabor today in Galilee, which is the, the number one contender, guess what you find? Um, Someone has built a shelter, is <laughs> the Church of the Transfiguration, and done what Peter wanted to do, but was told not to do. Um, so I, I find myself wondering, I, I find myself thinking in God's, um, I was about to say God's playfulness, I think that is the word that I mean. I think we got the wrong mountain, I think it probably wasn't there. It was somewhere else, because he, he wouldn't let us build uh, a, a permanent dwelling in that place. Um, but the important thing, is not the mountain, um, or Moses, um, or Elijah. Um, as curious as we are about them, and all those, all those parts of the story are intriguing, um, the important thing in this story is Jesus. Um, the voice from heaven speaks, just like it did at his baptism, to make sure that the disciples don't miss the point, and to make sure that we don't miss the point. <laughs> the voice from heaven says, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. It's all about Jesus. And then I love the way Mark, as narrator, says this to make sure that we don't, again, that we don't miss the point. He says, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. Um, and that is the heart um, of the message of this story. And it's the heart of the message of this book that we've been reading together in Mark's gospel. Um, in a way, Mark's gospel, with all its many stories, is saying, here is Jesus. He is the Messiah and the beloved Son of God. Look at him. Pay attention to him. Listen to him. 
pay attention to his words and he will lead you into life. Don't be distracted by anything else. Don't be distracted by anyone else. Look at him. Listen to him. That's what Mark's saying again and again and again. Let this be the defining thing of your life. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. And so, as we finish, um, I want to go back to that puzzling verse that we began with at the beginning. Um, Jesus says, um, at uh, at the end of the previous story, the beginning of this one, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. What, what did Jesus mean? Um, and again, this is one of those things that people wonder about and are not sure about. Some people think he meant the transfiguration. Um, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God coming with power. And then six days later, <laughs> Peter and James and John saw the kingdom of God shining in the face of Jesus. Um, Maybe, maybe that's what it means. Uh, Some people think he meant his resurrection, that the disciples were going to meet the risen Jesus and there they were going to see the kingdom of God breaking in with power, the beginning of a new age, the beginning of a new creation. Maybe that's what he meant. Um, Some people think he meant the day of Pentecost when the spirit was going to fall and miracles were going to start to break out and the church was born and the kingdom of God was breaking in. Maybe. (laughs) Why not all of them? I don't don't know. Um, In reality, the disciples would see the kingdom of God breaking in in many different moments. Some of them really dramatic and also some of them really quiet and everyday. The glory of God the kingdom of God breaking in in all kinds of ways. Um, And I think the same is true for us um, today. As we seek to live as apprentices of Jesus, as we seek to listen to him and look to him and follow him, we will have... This this moment on the mountain that we read about is a one-off story and unrepeatable, and we can't experience exactly what Peter and James and John experienced. But... I hope you understand what I mean when I say I think we will have lots of moments a little bit like that. Lots of moments of transfiguration or epiphany when we see the light of heaven breaking through the clouds just for a moment. When we see the beauty of Jesus and it kind of takes our breath away. When we see the glory of God in an ordinary moment. One one moment we're in the middle of an ordinary day and an ordinary moment, and then something of the glory of God, something of the kingdom of God breaks through. And sometimes it'll be really dramatic, like the day of Pentecost or the resurrection. Um, And sometimes it'll be very quiet. Sometimes it'll be far from heaven. Um, Sometimes it'll be a still, small voice. But some of us, all of us, as we follow Jesus, um, we won't taste death before we see the kingdom of God. We see the glory of God. And there's an old hymn um, that says, sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. And I love that idea of a light that surprises us. Um, And I'd I'd go a bit further than the hymn writer and say, it might happen while you're singing with your brothers and sisters in church. 
but it might also happen while you're singing along to the radio in your car. Um, it might happen as we're sharing bread and wine on a Sunday morning, that you have a moment of realization, the risen Jesus is here. Um, it might be while you're sharing an ordinary meal with family and friends. Um, it might be while you're walking in the forest or you're on a busy street or you're playing with a child or you're in a queue at the supermarket. But at any ordinary moment, something of the light of heaven can break through, something of the beauty of Jesus, something of the glory of God. Um, Marilyn Robinson, um, who's a wonderful novelist uh, and a Christian, um, one of the characters in her greatest novel says this, um, you'll allow me a little moment of poetry. It's the end of a series. I'm allowed to get poetic. Um, uh, the character in, in her novel, Gilead, says, It has seemed to me sometimes as though the Lord breathes on this poor grey ember of creation and it turns to radiance. And then it sinks back into itself again and to look at it, no one would know it had anything to do with fire or light. Then she says this, she says, wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. And you don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see. I think she's speaking as a Christian there. She's saying, if you pay attention, <laughs> there will be moments when you see the glory of God, you see the kingdom of God, you see the beauty of Jesus. Um, we won't see the kingdom of God come fully until after Jesus returns and makes all things new. We won't see the glory of God fully until we pass beyond death into the light of his presence. Um, but I really believe if you keep your eyes open this week, you will see glimpses of his glory. Um, you'll see the kingdom of God coming with power. Um, and I want to encourage you, let's remember, Peter, when it happens, don't try and hold on to it. <laughs> um, Give thanks for that moment of beauty and light. Um, let it increase your hunger for the glory to come. But then go back down the mountain um, with refreshed faith, with renewed faith, um, because of what you've, you've witnessed. Um, let's pray together, and then we're going we're gonna to sing to finish. Um, let me encourage you. Um, there's been lots of things shared here this morning, and I think God's been speaking to us. And I think there's going to be some people here this morning who'd love to get prayer from somebody before you leave. Um, don't be in a rush. Uh, there's a couple of people who'll be up here um, to my, le my left, your right. Uh, they'd love to pray, pray with you before you go or grab someone near you um, and ask them to, to pray with you. But let's pray together. Father, maybe we, we read this story and there's uh, a part of our hearts that um, really wishes we could have been there. Um, what a thing to see. What a moment. Um, but Father, I want to thank you that you have shared this moment with us um, through your word. Um, and I guess my, my really simple prayer as we finish this morning is that even as we go away from church this morning and we've, we've heard lots of different things and we've, we've heard people share all kinds of encouragements and uh, reflections and challenges. But my prayer is that as we go away from this morning, that what would burn in our hearts 
and stay with us would be only Jesus. That something of his beauty, something of his um, radiance, something of the brightness of uh, his goodness and his love and his holiness and who he is, something of his glory would just would stay with us and follow us around this week. Um, Father, I pray we would respond to your word with a real sense of wonder and of worship. I pray that you would fill our minds with the reality of who Jesus is so we're ready to follow him anywhere. Um, Father, would you help us this week to keep looking to Jesus, to keep listening to Jesus? There's going to be so many other voices trying to get our attention, so many other things saying, look here, look here. Help us to look to Jesus. Help us to listen to him because in him we find life. And Father, I want to pray, um, even this week, coming week, help us keep our eyes open. And I pray that you would give us moments of transfiguration, moments when we see a little bit of the light of heaven breaking through. Um, you would show us your glory. Um, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.